Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Welcome to the Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today from the Eugene City Council in Ward 8, West Eugene, is Randy Groves. Randy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Patty. I appreciate you having me on, and I'm, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, before we get started, I'd like to say thank you for being a guest, and I want to express my gratitude for your service to our community. It's truly, truly an honor to have you. We crossed paths multiple times many years ago when I was working at the barbershop on West 11th. And at the time you were fire chief, and as I'd mentioned before, now you're retired from that and working on city council. So we're going to talk about a lot of crazy, a lot of wild issues today. There's so much happening in Eugene. Uh, and, and, you know, I just appreciate you doing this. But at first, I want to give you a chance to talk about what's happening in your ward specifically. Now, that's West Eugene. So explain to our audience where that covers. It is the you had told me off air that it is the biggest geographic area of all of the wards. So tell me about the, the, what the area covers and what are the biggest issues and things also that you're optimistic about in your ward specifically. Well, thank you, Patty. And again, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, ward 8 in Eugene is west, southwest Eugene. Um, it, it, it runs all the way west to the city limits, which is Green Hill Road. It runs all the way south to the city limits. It runs north to Royal uh, Avenue, and it runs uh, uh, on the east side. It's a jagged line that to the extreme south end starts at Chambers, and then it stair steps back to City View. Um, so, again, it's, it's a very large area. It encompasses the, the majority of the West Eugene commercial industrial area. Uh, there's some large wetlands uh, out there, which, you know, add to the geographical size of the, the ward. And it's a very uh, diverse population uh, socioeconomically. Um, you know, we have uh, some of the, the poorest areas in our community and we have some of the um, more on the wealthy side too. So, and, and then everything in between. And it, it's also politically, um, I think, a pretty mixed oh, bag. Yeah. So, and anyway, so that's that's kind of uh, Ward 8. Uh, as far as what is going on, I think I'll start with the negative first. Um, you know, when I, when I took office and I, I took office in January of 2021, uh, and one of the things I ran on was uh, wanting to help our local economy because, you know, living wage jobs is the other half of affordable housing. Um, you know, it, bringing in uh, outside money into our community is important for the health and welfare of our entire community, whether, whether you uh, are independently wealthy yourself or not, it's still important to how we support our community. Um, but when I came in, uh, the unhoused problem in West Eugene was uh, very significant. Uh, it was affecting 
neighborhoods. It was uh, affecting parks and open spaces. Uh, it was uh, also uh, creating some real problems for the businesses with RVs and trailers parked on commercial and industrial streets. And people were living in, in squalor under these conditions. Uh, it wasn't safe for them. It wasn't healthy. It was is in no way uh, a, a good environment, and, and I'm sure I'll get a chance to talk about what we've been doing about oh, yeah. that. But if, if you if you drive through West Eugene today, it's very different than it was 18 months ago. Um, another thing that happened uh, since I've taken office was uh, we became aware of the dioxin poisonings and contaminations in West Eugene, out near Roosevelt, and um, again south of of Royal. And it's, uh, it's a terrible situation. Uh, DEQ has been heavily involved. Um, the uh, El Rapa with the air contamination has been involved. And the city has been involved as well. And in fact, one of the things we've tried to do is learn what exactly is the city's role in something like this. And I, I can speak to that again um, sure. later more about some of the steps we are taking uh, as a city. Uh, but I mean, these are real people being affected. Uh, it's it's uh, their yards are not safe to go out and garden in. Um, wow. Soil is going to have to be dug down to a fairly oh low God. level. Uh, the company that's been cited as causing the contamination, J.H. Baxter, has gone out of business, and they're claiming inability to pay. Uh, we're working on something at the city level right now that will prevent that from happening in the future. But fortunately, DEQ has what they call an orphan fund that's going to come in and upfront that money, and then they will try to collect on the back end. But the main thing is taking care of these people that are at risk uh, wow. and have been exposed, and their properties uh, have, have been exposed. Is- so that's another thing going on. Yeah, that's massive, yeah. It, it is It is massive. Um and then you know it, it's there, there's also some some good things going on. Um, my ward, Southwest Eugene, West and Southwest Eugene, is really the only quadrant of Eugene that doesn't have a community center uh, or a pool. And if you think about it, there's Echo Hollow for Northwest. There's Sheldon pool and community center for um, northeast and then of course you have the beautiful amazon pool and amazon community center and um, southeast so southwest is the one uh, quadrant that doesn't have this well the city just closed on some land uh, down off west 13th and danny street and as a site of a future um, rec center and pool for Southwest Eugene. That's something I've I've advocated for even before I, I ran for office. Um, there's no money to build it yet, but uh, if and when we go out for a renewal of the parks bond, uh, we're I certainly would be fighting to build that into there, and that's kind of what staff is thinking would be the mechanism. So it's entirely possible um, this could become a reality in Southwest Eugene, wow. you know, in the next five years. Wow. And so that's that's a that's a real positive there. Um, you know, it, it's the other thing. There's been some positives that, that have even come out of um, our unhoused challenge, and that is. Uh, I think the community out here is better better aligned and connected than it's been in the past. Um, you know, there's there's in looking at some of the business um, areas, 
the business owners, they, they knew there was business XYZ across the street, but they didn't really even know the people involved. And now they all know each other and they're all interconnected. And there's actually been some um, business relationships established because they've become aware of what each other does. And, yeah. you know, there's, there's, it's just incredible what some of the, the community does out here. Um, I was at the 50th anniversary here a while back at Yogi Tea, which is now East West Tea Company, um, but still Yogi product. And they are very, very community and globally um, conscious and aware. And they have operations in Europe and Africa and, you know, basically all over the world. Well, one of our larger safe sleep sites is everyone village um, which i would like to talk to about sure and i'm familiar with the, them yeah that and you know pastor gabe piece yep. he's been uh, on the podcast personal personal friend of mine and just uh unbelievable what they are actually getting done there but that's in partnership with business yeah and they uh uh are are, are lifting people up anyway yogi tea at their 50 uh, your anniversary, which I was uh, very blessed to be able to speak at. I really value their values. Um, Everyone Village was given a check by Yogi T for $50,000. Wow. And that is a big, big yeah. um, benefit. And it's going to help um, Everyone Village and Gabe establish some business that will employ people from everyone village which also creates a revenue stream yeah and he's on target to be completely self-sufficient within three yeah. years one of the things no government money with pastor gabe one what he i had him on the podcast it was excellent you know because he yeah. came in to That's the barbershop got a beard trim and i just instantly was like dude you are the perfect candidate for someone i'd like to talk to we'll talk about it with homelessness but one of the things that he's doing is he's putting people to work now it's volunteer work a lot of times but yeah. what it does is, is there's this there's a lot of people that really want to help other people in the unhoused community. And so yes. let's, let's get into talking about homelessness. Okay. So the number sure. one issue faced in every corner of the city is homelessness. Yes. Uh, you've been very vocal on social media about your shared frustrations, frustrations that I share with you with this growing epidemic. What are some actual solutions? You just mentioned some. What are some actual solutions that you believe are being implemented and what strategies to tackle the issue would you like to see changed? Well, and that's that is the uh, hundred thousand dollar question sure. right there. It, it's uh, it's a multi prong approach. Yeah. Well, it, it, if it'd be okay with you, Patty, I, I kind of like to set the stage here so people understand the scope and the magnitude of the problem, sure. and then I can get into the solutions. And uh, this is something I, I I do a lot of uh, surfing on the internet, trying to find good, credible sources and understand and define problems. I think that's important. You need to understand a problem before you can fix it. You know, I learned that as fire chief and, and uh, it's true as a city councilor as well. Um, Eugene's problem, remember Eugene is a community of about 177,000 people. So we're a small to medium sized community. Yet if you look at our unhoused challenge, uh, we have uh, a population depending, and, and these are all undercounts, and it's sure. important to understand that because it's a chaotic, transient population that moves around a lot, and it, it's, it's hard to get accurate counts. But the point-in-time count places us somewhere just south of 4,000. Uh, if you take the uh, by-name count, which 
we believe is a little more accurate, but it doesn't take into account people leaving the community. It's up closer to 10,000. Um, so that is a lot of people for a community of our size. And I, I did some research on Phoenix, Arizona, because I had somebody from Phoenix, Arizona, that was uh, being very critical of Eugene's approach to the unhoused, which coincidentally is very similar to Phoenix uh, approach. But here you have Phoenix, the seventh largest city in the United States, one of the wealthiest cities in the United States, and they have a, a homeless population count of 3,096. Wow. So think about that. You know, a million person population, right. more than that, and very wealthy, and they've got that problem, and they can't solve it. And we have, you know, conservatively around 4,000, and we're actually doing it better, even though it's still a mess. Sure. Um, you know, likewise, San Francisco, think of the size of San Francisco. Think of the wealth that that community has. They have a population count of 7,754. Um, so again, I mean, it's not even twice as much as Eugene's low-end population count. So the point is, these are big, expensive problems. Eugene is a small to medium-sized city with a small to medium-sized budget. And the services are extremely expensive. Yeah. Now, what is being done about this? Well, we have some very good nonprofits. Uh, we just heard about uh, Everyone Village a little bit here. Um, you have the Eugene Mission. Uh, those two um, are, are actually lifting people up into self-sufficiency. And Everyone Village really opened in January of this year. They've already lifted 13 souls up wow. into independent living um, and jobs. And, you know, if you go visit Everyone Village, people are filling out applications. There's classes in, in trying to mainstream people rather than warehouse. And that's a big distinction. The other thing I found when I... I came into office, I, I call it my tour of getting yelled at, basically spent four months with people just airing their frustration. And I got it. And it was important to hear that. And actually, it was important to get it out because by the time people would be done expressing their displeasure with the situation, they get to the end and, and all of a sudden, okay, what do we do to fix it? And one of the things I noticed, we had, Eugene had uh, what they called rest stops, which were smaller 10 to 12 campsites uh, with, with Conestoga huts. And they were very effective. They were cost effective. They did what we wanted them to, to, to do. But when you look at building these 12 spaces at a time, it's like trying to bail out the Titanic with a teacup. I mean, it's, it's too little. We needed some transformational change. We needed some bigger bang um, strategies and tactics to come at this problem. And it was out of that that we, we started coming up with the safe sleep sites. And, you know, since that time, we've added about 500 more spaces for people to live in. The biggest challenge we have uh, right now is there's still not enough places. Everybody has to have some place to go. There's still not enough places for people to go. Um, and they're extremely expensive. And we are paying ongoing operational costs with one-time monies. And these are monies that we've gotten from the American Rescue Plan, which is a federal program uh, commonly referred to as ARPA. 
and we've got uh, we've received 5.75 million from the state of Oregon to help with our issue with the seven. Uh, 150,000 amount is targeted towards cleaning up um, abandoned camps, mm-hmm. uh, which if you drive around, you see them everywhere. Yeah. And, but, but, you know, we, we've, we've actually, we've made some real progress in getting people off the street, but also, um, you know, leading with compassion, but coming at the backside with accountability and, and expecting people to, um, display responsible behaviors and you know I'll, I'll just cite some some locations if you look at uh the area that was at the end of beltline and west 11th which is highway 126 there was a very large chaotic uh, and disorganized camp that left literally dump trucks load of of trash and garbage and, and was that and was that waste. city planned or was that just people just kind of went there were people kind of set no it there? wasn't no it wasn't authorized and people said why did it take so long to yeah. get that corrected well it was a combination of um private property odot property lane county property and city property and you know, if you want to slow something down, um, get more than one government agency yeah, involved, more yeah. than government, more more than one unit of government, and it just uh, complicates things tremendously. But you know, we we also uh, have made some really good inroads. Um, and again, I'll, I'll, if if you were if you drove around West Eugene or even walked around. Um, 18 months ago, and you haven't been out there since, go out there today, you'll still find little pockets. You'll sure. find, but, but the problems are in ones and twos, not forties and fifties. Wow. And it's, it, it is tremendously better. Um, you'll notice that the uh, encampments at Washington Jefferson Park and West 13th Avenue um, have been closed. And um, well, Everyone Village took uh, the people with animals from Washington Jefferson Park. Um, some of them went to Fortin Garfield, which is um, the individual. It's 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 inside a warehouse. It's been um, modified so it can be a, a, a living occupancy. Um, but that's another issue and a challenge. Uh, the RVs and trailers uh, pose a real problem. Uh, when they get abandoned, they cost the city anywhere from two to six thousand dollars to wow. recycle yeah. um, because they're they're not healthy environments. I mean, they're they're just driving around in a giant petri dish in, right, in most right. cases, and and some of them are actually former meth labs, uh, yeah, which or is current horrible. or current, it's yeah, horrible yeah. Or, or current, yeah, yeah it's. Uh, but, but anyhow, um, I, I've got um, uh, an aerial photo of an dr- aerial drone photo of 310 and 410 Garfield. 310 Garfield is uh, the vehicle spot. It has 55 spaces. 410 Garfield is the individual enclosures inside this warehouse that has 85 to 100 spaces. But when you look at the size of the footprint of 310 Garfield compared to 410 Garfield, 410 Garfield is about a quarter of the space of 310 Garfield. And land is very expensive. Um, Preparing the site with, with fencing because part of the problem, you need to keep drug dealers out. Um, that, that's, that's been a real challenge, um, because people that you're trying to help lift up that have a substance misuse problem and addictions, uh, they don't need the temptation. And so trying to, um, it it also builds safety 
And so that's that's been a real positive. But right now we're trying to figure out ongoing, how are we going to fund this? And I always say that this is not a city of Eugene problem. These are not all Eugene city residents. In fact, most are not. And I don't care what the statistics say. You go out on the street and talk to these people, as I have, as our firefighters have, as our public works staff have, as our parks and rec staff have, as our police officers have, and they will tell you most are from somewhere else. And it really doesn't matter. Once they're here, they're our responsibility. This is America. We don't have a wall. We don't have a night watch. Um, People are going to come and go, but um, we have a disproportionate amount. In fact, if you look at the migration of the unhoused, it's come west, and west, uh, the west coast is a milder climate to live in. Um, there's more; we tend to be more liberal states. There's more uh, access to, to services, uh, nonprofits, etc. But if you look nationally, California is the number one state with the largest number of unhoused population. Washington State is number five. Oregon is number seven. And that should tell you something right there. And those are the sheer and numbers, not just rate, right? That's those the those aren't the percentages. That's yeah, if you numbers. take percentages, uh, Oregon and Eugene rise to the top of the list. Wow. And, uh, you know, I hear a lot of people complain about other communities sending people here. And, yes, I have seen evidence of that back when I was still a firefighter even. Right. Um, but, you know, that's a rounding error in the larger problem. Yeah. But it, it does happen, and it's not right. Um, so... So, yeah, we got a lot to talk about. So I got one more question yeah. about this. In planning this episode, you brought up a staggering t- statistic about the current rental housing shortage. You had yes. told me that our rental vacancy rate sits at 1.7%. So only 1.7% of rental uh, available rentals. Now, that's citywide. That's correct, right? Citywide, okay. and it's actually 1.5%. Okay, 1.5%. Now, uh, I mean, I, I, went, I had to go back and check when I, yeah, when I, so, I saw that. And it, it was actually presented to us at a July 2022 council work sure. session. And it's constantly so, changing. But, you know, and then there's a lot of the optics show on campus that there's all these high rise apartments that are unaffordable for Eugene residents. You know, and I don't, and those a lot of time, a lot of times seem like they're empty. So that if they're being counted, that I don't know if that's a different classification. But that's not really my question. My question actually is more about uh, you had mentioned people that are able to, with the help of of like uh, what is it, one square one or the uh, square one village, square one villages, with the help of them that you get, there's a bunch of them. You get people that are self sufficient, but there's people that aren't going to be able to have that happen. You know, that they will, they will require help. And with a lot of people, the housing first model is what is being implemented. Just getting people into their homes. I had a representative from shelter care and she had talked to me about what housing first is, how it works and all that. Uh, I'd like to know what your thoughts on the housing first model are and what is being done to increase low income as well as middle income homes. Yes. No, those, those are good questions. And if I could go back just quickly on yep. the, the student housing that's gone in, that's a completely different market, Okay. but those are designed where they could be converted. Uh, and some of them are, are mixed use. They aren't just students. And uh, I, my understanding, and I haven't confirmed this, but my understanding is there's not, a huge vacancy in those either. Yeah. But the other thing that those does, when, when people move up into housing, they're vacating lower cost housing. And so there's kind of this stair step that goes up that, that actually does relate. So really we need housing at all levels. All levels, but yeah. Definitely the lower end. Some of the things we've done with that, um, in fact, my very first night on council, 
uh, I had nothing to do with creating this or, or helping it, but I proudly got to be part of a unanimous vote that approved almost a thousand units of housing to be built over the next three years. And that included um, low income um, Section 8 housing, it included affordable housing, and included some market rate housing, but it also included supportive housing, which is what you need for the people that really can't manage their own lives, whether it's mental health issues or um, severe addiction. And the NEL on West 11th is is the uh, um, latest um, place that's open in supportive housing, along with the uh, uh, ML, uh, the commons on MLK. So that's produced about 100 units of supportive housing, and we definitely need more. Um, as far as, um, and I'm sorry, Patty, what was, what, oh, what was housing, your exact housing question? For, housing first. I just really want to hear. Housing first, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's one area, but it, it's, yes. it's something, and if anybody's unfamiliar, because I wasn't. Honestly, I hear this. People talk about it in the government world. They're like, well, housing first, housing first. And I was like, well, what does that even mean? And it's pretty simple. It means let's get someone into a house, and then we'll right. deal with the problem that made them homeless, you know, whether it's yes. drug addiction or whatever. So, Yes. There are some communities that have been very successful with that model. Um, for example, uh, my daughter advises me a lot on this. She, she works for Baltimore County Public Health, and she's a Johns Hopkins University graduate and actually getting uh, ready to go back and, and start her, her um, graduate work. And they have a very successful model of housing first back there. And they, they, they have, uh, but, but you have to remember, they have blocks and blocks of vacant uh, walk-ups. So there's somewhere to put and, people, yeah. Yeah, you know, that are boarded up. And there's no zoning changes that need to have happen. And most of those, they can go in with a very uh, reasonable amount of, of investment and make them so they're habitable. You take, come over on the West Coast here now and think about what we have. We don't have a lot of that around the West Coast. You may have a house here or there, but they, they are not prominent. So we actually have to build new, which makes it very expensive and less cost effective. Um, and there's also been mixed a mixed bag results with those as well. In fact, right now, uh, Johns Hopkins uh, University through their hospital is banding with nine other hospitals in Baltimore, and they're doing a study with 200 people that they have just randomly selected that are unhoused, and they've put into housing, and they have a, a range in there of how much support they get to see where kind of the sweet spot is. Because... All these things cost money. Of course, yeah. I like to say the flip side is if we don't deal with it, it costs, it costs money more. as well. Yeah. You know, think think about your emergency uh, department at the hospital visit when you go in. First of all, you're going to sit there for eight hours unless you're you're critical, and your bill is going to be exorbitant. And that's not because that's what it costs to treat you. That's what it costs to run the system right. um, with a large indigent population. And, you know, I saw it as a, as a line firefighter. Um, police had a revolving door in the jail. Firefighters have a revolving door at the hospital. I mean, uh, I remember as a, a line responder, sometimes we would go on the same person three times in one 24-hour shift. Wow. And every time... You, they're being transported because that's that was our only option. Yeah. Um, police have the option of taking you to jail or the hospital. Firefighters, at least as of now, have the option of taking you to the hospital. <laughs> and so 
you know, that, that's, that's an issue. Yeah. And it, it, so I'm willing to try anything. Yeah. That, and it's all works. of it. It's all of it. It's, it's, it's housing first. It. It's low income. It's middle income. Yes. It's high income housing. The only gripe that I have with the high income housing that's put in is the tax element because there's people that are trying to apply. And I don't want to get too into this, but there's people that are trying to, to use the classification because it is true what you said about how I agree with you that, that it opens up when you build up middle income and, and middle to high income housing, it opens up low income housing that people are, are moving up. And taxpayers are the people that are moving up. So there's revenue streams. But when people that are building these for-profit places that are high-end are trying to get the tax classification that they're saying, well, we're creating low-income housing, I have a little bit of an issue with that because at this at the end of the day, it's like, no, we're not going to – we need the revenue from the tax dollars from the high-income housing. So yeah. I think it's like when you've had – a chance to have things really go your way. And we're talking about marginal taxes. We're not talking about, you know what I mean? It's, it's, we could be here for days on that, but I, there's yeah. a lot of talk about that. And, and I don't want to get too, too sidetracked because we have so much to talk about, but yeah, sure. that, that's sure. one thing that I, I just, I want people to be aware that sometimes there's some trickery going on from, from the very top where they're just like, Oh yeah, we're, we're, we're creating low income housing and it's really not. And there's a lot yeah. of, I mean, so it's, it's tough. If if I could respond yeah, to that, I, I don't disagree with you. No, I, mean, I know I, that. I want that to be we clear. We see it. There's there's angles uh, yeah. that people are trying to do all the time, and and some of them make sense, and some of them don't. Yeah. Um, for example, 1059 Willamette, the old LCC building downtown that's um, going to be razzed. Uh, it's not salvageable, and and yeah. they're going to build, um, you know, a, a high rise building there. But 49 percent of that is going to be um, low income. And 51% is going to be market rate. And one of the things we found, uh, having that mixed, that mix pencils out much better than just strictly low income. Plus, I don't think we want to replicate um, the projects uh, that you you see East Coast and some of the big Midwest cities. It's kind of this blended thing. And and recently, uh, I looked at a map with the mayor uh, that showed... um, poverty where it exists in Eugene and I was stunned it's it's pretty evenly dis- distributed much more than you would think um, so anyway yeah so we're gonna move housing you know this is we, we usually go for about an hour we may go long today which is great because this is really important information but uh, we, we've taken the first half talking about housing which is really good because it is the number one issue in Eugene. Now we're going to move on. And I know off air, you had told me with the recall that you wanted to kind of look forward, but I really, for my audience, you know, because I cover a lot of Springfield uh, and that's kind of where my pocket lies as I try to do that because it doesn't get representation in the media. Uh, I want to talk about this recall, you know, at least explaining the situation because I think a lot of my listeners may not even be aware of it. So ward seven city councilor, Claire Surrett, who has been on the city council for 10 years, has been described as a union activist and fought for workers' rights, has been successfully recalled over really what stemmed from a yes vote over a bus lane. I know that there's more to it than that. Uh, maybe you can explain to me briefly, you know, how this came about, you know, what happened and how and why she was recalled or how, how this whole situation went down. Yes. I, I mean, anytime there is a recall, that's a pretty drastic yeah. uh, measure, but it's a legal, it, it's a legal option. And, um, the pro recall people, uh, you know, had 
they followed all the rules and all the laws. Um, yes, it was um, what I saw, and I don't want to speak for either side of the issue because I don't I don't have all the information. Sure. I mean, I I've been a spectator to this. Just like, like anyone you have, else, Patty. yeah, 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 and and you know, I, I I know what I know. I I mean, I know what I hear. Rather, I I, I hear, I hear both sides of the issue. Um, yes, Claire has. Uh, she she's a union representative for the Oregon Nurses Association. Um, she's very passionate about that. Um, you know, I, I think representation is important, as I shared with you when we were offline still. I mean, I was a union leader for 10 years in the uh, International Association of Firefighters, and I actually joined my first union at age 16. In, in I grew up in Portland, and I was a, back then they called them box boys, uh, in a grocery store. And so I was a member of the retail clerks unit union at a very young age. Uh, so I, I, I understand the importance of the labor movement in our, our community and in our world. Um, so, but I also understand you, you've got to work within balance. So anyway, the, the, the recall, it, you know, it happened. Um, it was a pretty good margin of yes votes to no votes. Uh, just my 30,000 foot assessment, I think some relationships uh, got to a, a place where it, it wasn't healthy. Uh, I think it's a uh, something, one of my takeaways is, which I've always believed this, uh, even before I ran for office, it's important that we listen to our community. And have balance and in some form, yeah. Have, have balance and listen to both sides of the argument, uh, even in the replacement um, for the position, which is, is a, the way that's going to work is it's a temporary council appointment. Um, and the person that we appoint will be in office until July of 23. Uh, there'll be election in May where, um, whoever we select can run and anyone else can. And then the voters will decide which they, that's really who should be deciding this Next year, for the yeah. long haul of who's going to represent them. Um, I've had people reach out to me already and, and want to talk about specific individual candidates. And I've said, you know, I, I'm happy to have that conversation, but last week the application process just opened. I mean, we're already having forums and, you know, the, the application process is going to remain open until November 9th. And there's people that are considering whether or not to put in their hat in the ring. And the reality is, this is something I think a person needs to be very thoughtful about. These these are not positions for the faint of heart. No, uh, you're not going to make a living on them. You get no. a small stipend, but it's it's not it's not a living uh, anything you can live on. Um, so I mean, you really need to think about it. And and just so you know, I I put in probably on average forty or more hours a week, but. You know, I'm I'm retired. It's it's something I can do. It's something that I actually campaigned on, and. I think it takes that to really do the job well. And I don't want, that's not, not a shot against any of my colleagues. No, 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 they all work it hard, just, but it's a fact. It, it just is, is, that's what I feel I need to do. And that's yeah. what I've mostly been doing. So, um, yeah, the big issue. So opponents to the recall have said that it is in their eyes, anti-democratic and it's pushed based on lies. I don't know, you know, like, again, we, do, we don't have all of the facts. I think it's important to have accountability across the board, but I just, it's really difficult because, you know, her seat was going to be up in 2023 where there's going to be a re-election. 
And this is for Democrats and Republicans. Now, these are nonpartisan seats. I want that to be clear. But I mean, what this is to me is really telling is, is you have to, like you're saying, have balance in some form. Because if, if you feel if, if your constituents feel like they're not represented, they're going to come after you. Now, that being said, if we're not going to look at each other with different opinions in good faith, we're at a really bad spot. And we see this on a federal level as much as well, where, you know, illegitimate presidents are being thrown around the last three in people's minds have been illegitimate in someone's in in a chunk of society and it's just oh my gosh it's not healthy for our democracy we have to find ways that's why i value what you're about because i think that it's not about being in the middle or anything like that you have your views across the board but you're really really trying to to have solutions and trying to hear from everyone and trying to just make sense of it and do what's best you know and so it's just ah, it's really difficult uh, the Eugene Tenet Alliance had a forum this past Wednesday at Alluvium and heard from potential candidates for this position. I was asked to guest host. I really had a small, small role. Kevin Cronin and the Eugene Tenet Alliance, among other people that were throwing the event, uh, invited me. And it's what I love about this this world is that I'm like, I'm in over, over my head. I don't know what I'm doing. And Kevin was like, this is about building skills. I know that you have something that you can work with long-term. So if we, if we just have you kind of get your feet wet, you know, and they were gracious enough to let me be super riddled with anxiety speaking in front of public for like a minute, I'll get better at it, but I just appreciate being involved. And I want to thank Kevin Cronin for that specifically. So the two, two candidates were Joel Oboa and Daniel Isaacson, who stepped, stepped up and took questions from audience members and moderators, followed by a straw poll, which gave a recommendation to the council and, you know, it's a recommendation. The council will, will discuss. I'm sure that those will be very uh, viewed. You know, there'll be, there'll be public uh, meetings and then some behind the scenes. But there's going to be more candidates, too. But, yeah, both candidates were impressive, very impressive. And ultimately, Daniel Isaacson was the winner of the straw poll. How, how long, and you had mentioned this, how long do you expect the process to take to fill the vacant seat? Well, we have legally 90 days from the time the uh, the ballots were certified, which was, I forgot whether it was October 3rd or 4th, but somewhere right right in that window. Sure. That puts it kind of, you know, right in the holidays, which is a horrible time. So I I, I know we kind of have an unofficial goal of trying to, to resolve this in about the 70-day seven, window, plus or minus. Sure. Um, it's, and, and first of all, Patty, I think you are selling yourself short and you're being overly modest. I think you do quite well with yeah. public speaking and uh, I think you're you're dynamite in this format. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. It'll take it, it, but the, the beauty of what that event is that I was nervous and I and whatever, but the fact that people made it clear they're like, "No, we want you to be here because you bring something to the table." And that has been my experience time and time again for people that are working hard volunteer work. Joel Laboa said something that I thought was so uh, what it is? It was fallen, fallen chosen. I can't remember the word he used. It's like it's oh, I like, saw that in the paper. Yeah, and, yeah, and I'm, it's I'm, it's so true. You're fallen chosen for these positions, or you're fallen told. That's what it was. I vol I was fallen told to step up. You know, and and so there's yeah. just so many amazing people in our community doing great things. I think both of those right. candidates are incredible. By the way, that. <laughs> Well, yeah. that's that's good that we've got some good people to draw from. You know, again, I'm I'm going to wait to see yeah. who all steps up, and and I am going to, uh, as I told Kevin Cronin and 
Kevin Cronin is a Ward 8 resident. Uh, he's one of my constituents. I have a great uh, admiration for Kevin and uh, appreciate the work he does. We don't always agree on everything, but it's it's always, you know, it's part of that uh, respectful disagreement at times. Uh, I do agree with a lot he does and says too. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's just having those uh, authentic, uh, honest conversations, I think, is important and helps in, in the process. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, this this is important and, and actually the the, uh, the the seat will be back up for election in 24 and with the term starting January of 25. But the way it's going to work is council will appoint the the first person that could be the permanent person um, within this 70 to 90 day window that I, I just described. They will be in office until July of next year, but they will have to run a campaign to be elected by the voters of Ward 7 in May of 23. Right. And then should they choose to run again, they're going to unfortunately have to turn around and run again in 24 uh, for the 25. So, um, Campaigning is not my favorite thing to do. It, it's uh, it's an important part of the process, but it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm already looking ahead going, you know, uh, if I run for re-election, at what point do I slow down my council work? Um, and I'm out in the community, I mean, literally every day. And how do I slow that down to uh, run an effective campaign? Well, I think that is the most effective campaign, actually doing work. You know, what I mean? work, you know yes. in my opinion, that when people are, I hear that a lot. People are like, I need to stop doing work to campaign. And it's like, nope, just keep doing what well, you're doing. People I won't see, stop. No, exactly. I got you. I got <laughs> I won't you. Stop, but, yeah. But yeah. It, it's, it's like, I, I, if you look at my schedule, I've got something going on just about every night of yeah, the week. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and, and it, it takes that to be engaged. Yeah. And it, it's, it's important. I mean, people need to hear from you. And as much as I'm out there, I had a woman, uh, I was at the uh, labor picnic for the uh, Lane County Central Labor Chapter, uh, held a, a, a Labor Day picnic, and, and I went to and, and was blessed to be able to speak at that. But I was walking back to my, my seat uh, out of Lamb Lane Park, and I went to sit down, and this woman grabbed me and says, hey, I'm one of your constituents. I've never heard from you. And uh, had a nice chat with her, but but her expectation was I would come knock on her door and sit on her couch and have coffee. And it's like, you know, I did the math. It'd be about uh, 65 doors a day, seven days a week, 365 days a, a year. And you don't want to hear, see from, see me on Christmas. <laughs> so, sure, sure. I mean, it, it just, it's mathematically impossible. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's tough. But any, anyway, I, but I do, I go, I go to all the neighborhood association meetings and, and I actually have uh Organized by the neighborhood associations, I actually have town hall meetings there, and the you know little cards are sent out in the mail to let people know this is happening, that their counselor will be there, and and that engagement and listening is really an important part of the job, and I think the recall to tie this off is a piece of that, and emphasizing uh, and underlining the importance of listening. Um, to yeah. where people are on the issues. Yeah. So whoever's picked by the council, uh, it's, it's they're going to have to, like you said, run and then run again. And they're going to, I'm sure that the people that were the supporters of this recall that created it, they're going to have a candidate. That's probably not going to be the one that the city council will appoint, <laughs> you know, that we'll, we'll see that it'll be, I mean, I'm in Springfield and I'll just, I'll grab the popcorn, I guess it's going to be a wild ride, but uh, we'll see how it all plays out. 
Yep. Uh, there is some really great candidates. Daniel Isaacson, who won the straw poll, is a very qualified candidate. Somebody that's very – he works really hard with uh, mental health in our community, and I think that that would – and, I mean, I was very impressed with him, and I'm going to reach out to him and have him on the podcast. I'm sure – I haven't talked to him about that, but I would I would like to, and I think he would probably be interested. So we'll get to know more about that. And even if he's not the person chosen, I mean, Joel Leboa was was also great. It'll be interesting how it plays out. So yeah, I, I've met, I've met both of them. Uh, I served on the Human Rights Commission for a, a short period of time with uh, Joel, and um, I, I've I've talked with uh, Daniel quite a few events. So yeah, yeah. I, know, I know both of them. So now this is going to be an area that you're extremely passionate about, but we don't have a ton of time, so I don't know how. I'm not really too worried if we go over, but but uh, you know it's it's been a while. But back in 2014, when you were the fire chief. Uh, for Eugene Fire at the time, you led the merger between Eugene and Springfield Fire Departments with a goal to improve service and reduce costs. I want to have a reflective look back. Uh, what are your thoughts on the impact that this merger has had almost a decade later? I think they've been uh, significant, and I would be remiss if I didn't call out uh, the partnership with then Springfield Fire Chief um, Dennis Murphy. We actually started working the process in 2008. Um, I was sworn in as the chief of Springfield. I was already the chief of Eugene, and I actually was the one chief for two different fire departments as we started knitting the process together. We kept bringing things together um, that reduced the footprint, mostly through attrition. Um, we were able to eliminate a lot of um, high-end uh, positions and basically reduce the footprint by about $2 million uh, a year. Wow. Um, which, you know, at, at the size of budget it is, it's still a rel relatively low percentage, but, you know, Still, money is money. Anytime you but can more make importantly, cuts and have better service, that's that's a win, you know. And and it did. It did just that. It produced better service. And in the early days, I would have people say, "Well, you already have mutual aid. What's why do you need this?" And it's like, "Well, mutual aid." I use a football analogy. Okay, you're on a football team. You're playing an, a, another team, and halfway through the first quarter, a third team comes to join your side to help with the game. Yet you're all operating off different plays. Uh, you don't know each other. And pretty soon you're just running into one another. That's kind of what mutual aid feels like sometimes. As a fully integrated and merged department, and there are Springfield firefighters that are assigned to Eugene stations, and there are Eugene firefighters assigned to Springfield stations. And anyone hired basically after 2010 doesn't really, I mean, this is all they know. And so um, it, it works better. It, it helped us with response times. Um, prior to this, we had what we called hard boundaries uh, between Eugene and Springfield, which always bothered me as the deputy chief of operations before this. Uh, to me, um, there shouldn't be geopolitical boundaries that get in the way of life-saving services. And I think when we always start with the public, whether it's being on city council or um, being emergency responders and think what is in the interest and welfare of the public we are here to serve. Uh, it really helps lead you towards good decisions. And in this case, uh, firefighting and EMS work, hazmat response, they're apolitical. I mean, Absolutely. if something's burning, I don't care what side of the freeway you're on, you want it put out. And I don't think you really care what color the fire apparatus is that responds. And, and if you're bleeding, you want the bleeding stopped. And so that's what this seeks to do. The other thing we were able to do, because all of a sudden we had a larger shared force, uh, we're able to move back and forth across the freeway 
at will. And so it really helped with surge capacity um, for larger scale events. And we actually had two Sentinel events, three Sentinel events during um, uh, the early, the first two years of the integrated operation. One was the um, Swanson's Mill Fire in Springfield that was an all hands on deck. Um, we had a water supply problem there. Um, we had um, the Butte with all the radio equipment on it um, that was in danger, plus it was endangering um, businesses and residential. Uh, I, I pulled up um, on that fire and I, I walked along the rail line and I was feeling these phenol tank cars. I couldn't even hold my hand on them. Hand on them. They were so hot and that's, that's bad stuff. And so we quickly got uh, Union Pacific to come in and move them and get them out of harm's way. But anyway, this large response we were able to provide plus maintain a web of coverage throughout both cities um, worked well. And then we had, on the Eugene side, we had the Civic Stadium fire on a red flag day. And I'm watching flame links coming off the top of the stadium and basically blowing down horizontally across Willamette Street. We could have lit off all of College Hill. But I didn't again, even think about that, that it could have spread to other, I don't know. Oh, yeah. exposures were the yeah. problem. I think that was, was total... That was, loss. that was emotional for, for the community too. And I'm a know? baseball guy. Sure. So it really, it, it jerked a tear out of, out of my, oh, yeah. my eye. Uh, and then following that, we had the Southtown Lanes bowling uh, alley fire, which um, drone footage we got on that actually uh, is, is used across the country in firefighter training of bowstring truss roofs. Wow. It, it just got the whole collapse and and you see on the backside, firefighters actually, as they were trying to escape, getting blown out of the building by the, the pressure of the wow. air. It, it, and same thing. It was another red flag day in College Hill um, that easily could have uh, been a major, major catastrophe. So, wow. yeah, yeah I, I believe in it. There's some things we are still working on right now. And I think this is something the public may be interested. I'm serving as one of four city councilors, two from Eugene, two from Springfield, on a governance body. One of the pieces of the merger that never got completed was how the governance should work. And so we're, we're wrestling with that right now. The union is involved. The fire management, of course, is involved. It's facilitated sessions. But... Right now, and few people know this, the cities invoice each other back and forth for, and it, it, it just can be a simpler yeah, thing than that. Sure. Uh, so we're, we're working on that piece, but no matter what we do, the public won't see any difference at the street level unless the decision is made to deconsolidate. And I don't think that's going to happen, and I don't think it should happen. But yeah. no, I... I uh, I'm very appreciative of this, and we had a great team that knitted this thing together, and operationally, it is absolutely seamless, and that's what we really sought to solve, but then the, the Great Recession hit of 2008, and all of a sudden, the financial savings became very big. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, because you were talking about the size of Eugene and the 170000 or whatever. Springfield and Eugene is one, you know, in a lot of ways. I yeah. mean, there's reasons that it's not, but that, I mean, I, I was automatically thinking about all of the people, including myself and everyone I know in Springfield that shop and do business in Eugene. I work in Eugene. You know, there used to be laws about it, but we're going back and forth. I'm talking long time ago, you know, that they're like, you guys can stay over there on both sides. And I think that there's, there's reasons for that. And obviously the policing uh, strategies are very different, you very know, different. uh, and so, Planning. yeah, Planning but it's cool to see that the fire department that is universally admired, 
you know, politically, like you said, it's apolitical. Everybody looks at firefighters as being just the pillars in our community and, and heroes. I know that you're humble, and I'm sure that that uh, when people are like, you guys are heroes, you're like, we're just doing our job. And you probably downplay it, but at the end of the day, I definitely am somebody that believes that it's a heroic type work. So it's it's great. Now, speaking of fire, the fireworks ban. Now, this is going to be something that's just ad nauseum been talked about. People, especially, and it'll be every 4th of July moving forward. They're taking their freedom. You know, no, but the Eugene City Council voted six to two to ban the use and, and the use and sale of all previously legal fireworks. Uh, and manufacture. Yeah, man, yeah. Oh, okay. So, so you just any firework is illegal in yeah. Eugene now. Do you think? What are your thoughts? And do you think that it'll make it easier to prevent the use of illegal fireworks, or do you think that we'll actually see an uptick? You know, this. I know this is also an emotional issue, and the reality is. Uh, I usually vote against invasive uh, policies that take away individual freedoms and rights. I, I, I believe within the law and within reasonable safety parameters that people should choose. On this one, and, and I've got to admit to you, Patty, right up front, my, my vision of this is colored by my experience. Uh, I have not seen anything good come out of fireworks um and uh i have watched just some uh, unbelievable um situations that have occurred because of improper use and you know you can give all the directions you want uh, unfortunately the people that generally get hurt are not the ones lighting them paid, off right? i mean oh, sometimes really? yeah. they do um, but you know even even talking about sparklers you know people are saying oh these are harmless and you know the reality is did you know the sparklers burn at between 1500 and 2000 degrees fahrenheit and you hand it to a little kid it's wild you hand them and put it in a a little kid's hands i've I've been on calls where kids have been burned i've been on calls uh well just this last summer we lost a house out river road from the improper disposal of legal fireworks so they're not harm free the other thing um the, 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 the most dangerous, of course, are and the most disruptive, of course, are the illegal fireworks that can be bought across the Washington state lines. But the reality is it's really hard to enforce. And I've had people tell me that, oh, it's you can tell the difference just by the sound and what you see in the air. And that's true on the flats. But if you think about how sound waves travel, and remember, I've been out there, even as fire chief, I would take uh, a reserve uh, command suburban out on 4th of July night, and I, I would go help because we would just be incredibly busy. And I would go respond to calls, but also be out waving the flag, uh, letting people, because just our, our mere presence out there and police presence kind of tamps down some of the more egregious behaviors. But when you get up into the hills, Um, the sound waves don't have a clear path to travel frequently. I mean, there are large trees that break them up. There's uh, topography that breaks them up. And so, you know, I had my windows down and you'd be listening for where things are going off because you couldn't even always see them if you're in a a corridor of trees. Uh, And it, it was it was difficult, and I very well know the difference between legal and illegal fireworks. Sure. But you could you zone in on these sounds, and all of a sudden, you end up where legal fireworks are being shot off, and then you drive on. It, it's just hard to identify. So I think it'll be easier to identify. Um, I know the argument was made um, by the opponents 
to the measure that, well, it's just going to, people are just going to be going out into the county and lighting them off there. Well, the reality is the county's the only place until now that has a ban on fireworks. Yeah. And that's when the Oregon State uh, Department of Forestry declares its fire season, which is almost always before the 4th of July. Yeah. And then you can't, you can't, use any fireworks in the county and we've had bans in eugene that are, are situational yeah. in the past and you know we haven't seen an uptick of people going into the county i've also heard it said that well people will be going uh, and buying illegal fireworks well if they were wanting to buy legal fireworks and there's a ban in eugene i mean the communities around us are still going to be selling them yeah, now our always, hope is if you buy them you use them where it's legal not, there, there's not always going to be downsides i've seen a lot of stuff yeah. from uh crossfire ministries pastor aaron that he's doing his rounds because that was an area that he would use to to raise money and uh, i completely i mean that's a church and he's getting involved in politics which not on this issue but like you know, having Scarlados and having uh, David Lovell and whatnot speak, which I have my own issues with because at that point they say they should be paying taxes. <laughs> but that being, that's a whole different issue for a different day. But, but you know, I do care about his right to, to have his, his ministry and, and that's been yeah, through fireworks absolutely. sales. And so uh, that sucks, you know, so they're going to have to find another revenue stream, but that's life because this, at what cost are these things being done? So I will say living in Springfield on the edge of Thurston, my dog applauds the city council on your decision. And I worry, uh, on the 4th of July, I won't be able to stay at home. I'm going to have to take my dog and go to Eugene because Springfield is going to be like a war zone, you know, cause yeah. and you talk about County, but Springfield is going to, there's almost like this push for it. So, I mean, I hear gunshots on the 4th of July. It's not just fireworks. And I do know the difference. Yeah. So it's wild. I mean, and I want that to be clear. Like I saw that there's a big push for pastor Aaron from crossfire that he was real upset, but, and it's like, Dude, this is just kind of how it goes. Pay taxes, and then we'll talk. You know, we're you know, not targeting. We're not targeting. It's not specific against Aaron him. Taylor or, or Crossfire Ministries. No. it's you know I appreciate the work they do in the community. Absolutely, uh, and you know I, this is unfortunate. But if you look at all the nonprofits we have in our communities, very few of them use fireworks yeah. sales as as the revenue generator. So I mean, I'm hopeful he finds um, alternatives. Now he'll say they aren't there and they don't produce the same kind of money, but well, Springfield, I mean, I'm sure that they're still going to be sold in Springfield. Correct. I don't know. And so therefore yes. people will go over to Springfield to buy them, shoot them illegally, maybe less, you know what I'm saying? But it, whatever. I mean, right. it's been done forever and it's just one of those things. I, you know, I, I just yeah, picture I, if I could add yeah. to it's, you can put all the rules on the books you want. They're right. only as good as the enforcement. Right. So one, I, I made a motion that passed, after the, the fireworks ban passed, I and the motion was moved to direct the city manager to develop and implement a robust public education campaign leading up to the 4th of July and also develop uh, an enforcement strategy. And, and so that, and even with that, it's, it's going to take, you know, we got to where we are over years and it's gotten worse every year it seems and it's still going to take probably some time to get it back to where we don't have the problem that we have now and and the other thing people don't realize you know we we heard from a number of people of course that were anti-ban 
when it was proposed. But what people aren't seeing are the hundreds of communications that we got uh, around the 4th of July and we receive every year. I received as fire chief, we receive as council. Um, and then we've, since the ban passed, we've received quite a few um, people saying, thank you very much. It's been hard on, you know, my family, it's been hard on our pets, it's hard on the wildlife. Veterans, I um, mean, it's extremely hard on yeah. veterans, you know, which yeah. a lot of firefighters, I'm sure, are veterans. So it's like, yeah. it's funny because the people that are opposed to this tend to be pro-police, pro-firefighters. Pro, uh, I don't, those are very different departments and, and whatnot, but we need to, I my biggest thing is, is my dog. I used to clown on people when their dogs would, would, uh, would uh, and obviously veterans i don't want to but i'm just saying personally my dog trembles and drools all over herself and it's just a nightmare and i never realized how horrible it was until i saw it with my own <laughs> eyes it is awful i have to give her melatonin to the point we've tried we haven't tried cbd because i'm cautious about giving a dog cannabis but i i've given her melatonin to knock her out and it's, it's a little better and she's gotten older but it was traumatic the first couple yeah. of years and so i don't know i mean it's just one of those things you can't win with you know with we, we had a, a family dog that um you know since passed but she would just tremble every fourth of this july rough. and it was um um you know i generally wasn't home to see it but i would get reports from my wife and my kids my dog is a true patriot too. I want that to be clear. She loves this. <laughs> she loves this country. She she tells me that all the time. She's like, yeah. you know, I just have my 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 frustrations and my criticisms, but I love it here. You know, you know, she uh, she's from Fresno, California, actually. Oh, uh, so so she was in a gang. But uh, uh, so uh, uh, last question. Uh, and this is so long, like, there's no way to talk about this quickly, but the 20, 20, 2022 election is coming up, and I think it's fair to say that we're all exhausted talking about it. For a midterm, to me, the attention is somewhat surprising, but in 2022, politics really never stop. Let's hope that we actually have a decent voter turnout, because there's been ad nauseum. People are so tired of the commercials and stuff, but we right. need people to turn out, because that's when true democracy can prevail. So what, what local election are you paying the most attention to and what are your thoughts on the governor's race? So let's talk about the local, what local election Lane County base are you paying the most attention to? And I have, one you know, too. probably the, the one I'm paying the closest attention to is our road bond, oh, sure. um, the renewal of our road bond. And that is, uh, that is so important. Um, when the road bond was first proposed and it's been renewed, two times since it originally passed, this will be the third time. So four cycles. Uh, when we started this back in 2008, in 2008 dollars, the backlog was over $200 million uh, in needed road repairs. And the reality is our gas tax wasn't keeping pace with the cost of maintaining roads. And that's how we pay for roads uh, in our community. And, you know, think about the reduced driving during the pandemic and with more electric cars coming on board, which is good. I mean, this is a great problem to have uh, as far as losing headroom in the funding source. So the, um, so the gas tax now produces eh, somewhere in the $3 million range, somewhere between three and $4 million. I don't have the exact amount in front of us. Uh, it's in the voters pamphlet though. And uh, my name is uh, with three other counselors is on that and helped author it. But it's, um, 
basically, so roughly three million dollars, three between three and four million dollars come in every year uh, at present day for um, gas tax, and at the same time we have uh, a cost to just stay even of about ten point four million a year for major streets and another 1.7 million for uh, neighborhood streets. And so you can see right there, we have a structural imbalance between revenue and cost to maintain the streets. And what I do know is as we let our streets go and they get to a point of disrepair, it's very difficult and very, very expensive to bring them back, not to mention the damage that's done to your vehicles. Uh, this latest bond, we are trying to be a little more environmentally conscious. Uh, so 75% uh, of it's going to be directed to repair and maintenance. And I've actually had some people in my ward complaining that um, we're not putting money towards what they see are needed improvements on roadways, i.e. some sidewalks and safe pedestrian paths. But the road bond was never intended to provide new. It's intended to repair and maintain existing. But with that said, we are dedicating this time around 25% uh, of the bond proceeds to um, pedestrian, which kind of gets at some of the sidewalk issues, uh, bike lanes, and street trees, which are really important to the health and uh, maintenance of our, our our way of life in our community. So um, that's before the voters. And I, I would like people to know that there is no proposal to increase the rate. The only increase over what you've been paying would be the marginal increase um, with inflation on mm -hmm. the value of your, of your taxable home. rate of your, your, of your home, property. Yeah. Yeah, so yes. that that's I mean, next week I'm gonna have Doyle Canning on and we're gonna talk she'll be in the in the studio and we're gonna talk about uh, what's on the ballot and Eugene and Springfield. And I love having Eugene resident on when I do these episodes. I do it every time, every election. I'll do a what's on the ballot episode. And she's mm -hmm. a Eugene resident and I'm a Springfield resident. So we can kind of cover both areas and talk about great. it a little bit different. She's great because I think that she really, even though she didn't win the primary and, uh, you know, Vile Hoyle uh, is the candidate uh, that would defeated her in the primary, but she still represents a huge part of the community in, in Eugene. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. You know, I want to say as far as the local election that I'm paying the most attention to would be the Ryan Seneca, Don Leslie seat. Uh, because yes. in West, it's West Lane County commissioner. It's yes. going to change the direction of everything that we do in every area, because David Lovall mm -hmm. winning in Springfield by like 29 votes, it completely changed the leadership style from Joe Bernie to I was so personally disappointed because I'm a huge Joe Bernie fan and Ryan Seneca, if he wins, we're going to have a much more conservative County commission. Now that was the way that it used to be before mm -hmm. pretty recently, but the Don Leslie, Don Leslie is, is in my opinion, one of the most important seats. She has to win that in my mind. So we'll, we'll talk about that ad nauseum next week. Uh, and then the governor's race is very telling uh, and I want to hear your thoughts on it, but my takeaway from this, just the whole campaign of Betsy Johnson, I do know that what it's looking like is that Christine Drazen is in the lead now. And so we'll see how it goes down because I don't really trust polls anymore. But that being said, if if uh, Kate Brown is probably one of the most divisive candidates, whether we like it or not, I'm on the left. I don't. You're a nonpartisan seat. But that being said... Uh, the right hates her so much that you see what you saw in the recall where they feel unheard 
And that's why you see a rise of a Betsy Johnson where you're, you know, because the Democrats have such a stronghold over the numbers that I don't know if Betsy Johnson was in, was, was, I don't think it was planned. I think it's a genuine campaign. I think that she was giving an alternative. I'm a firm believer in more candidates. I think we need to have five candidates for, for elections. Uh, you know, but at the same time, it's dangerous because then you get sometimes you don't have a, a, a majority vote. I don't know. So what are your thoughts on the governor's race? Well, we do have five candidates in the governor's race. Oh, well, well, uh, yeah, that's th- true. There's Republican, Democrat, Independent, uh, Green Party and um, Libertarian. Yeah, I, I think those I think those are it. Um, that, yeah. And I think it's going to be incredibly interesting to watch. Um, you know, the reality is. I represent all people. I right. represent people on both sides of the political spectrum. And in my opinion, everybody's voice counts or none of our voices count. And I think we we saw that manifest itself, you know, going back to the recall piece. Uh, on this race, I am still listening to every word that's being said. Um you know, I, I have my personal beliefs, but, you know, again, as my personal beliefs are my personal beliefs, but as as far as uh, representing the community, and I mean, that's what I am. I am an elected representative. Uh, we don't have a true democracy. We have a democratic republic um, because, quite frankly, the, the public wouldn't want to be involved no. in uh, voting are, yeah. on absolutely every issue that comes before us. I mean, it's, you know, big and small. I think on the bigger issues, we should be finding a better way to work with the public and community process. Um, but anyhow, it's, I don't, to be honest, I don't know what to make of this thing. Yeah. Um, other than uh, the Betsy Johnson angle has added a very interesting component some are calling uh calling her the spoiler but i i would agree with you uh that i think she is a serious uh a serious candidate that is trying to be elected and i i think that what we are seeing in our governor race governor's race but also other races is we're a microcosm of what's going on in our country yeah really our global environment it, we have become extremely polarized um there's so much divisiveness that are that are that is going on um that you know i i i believe in disagreement and being able to talk it through but it just feels like it's it's hit a new a new level uh, of people being amped up and i don't think the pandemic has helped i mean um to a great extent, I feel like society has lost its civility. And well, and it, it isolated people and that pushed it isolated people in the corners. People. Yeah. So I don't I, know. I mean, Springfield is, is interesting because you don't, you can't be extreme. You can't, you can't, because there's too many people that, that see through that. And so, yes. and so, uh, you know, and I'm going to get flack for this, whatever, because at the end of the day, that's where I live. And that's what I have to work, be concerned with, <laughs> you know? And so I do love Eugene and I care about it, but, but Springfield, it's been really interesting to see how it plays out because the extremism isn't good. I mean, there's a push in Thurston, you got real conservative uh, attitudes, but that's not the majority of the city. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's a blue, yeah. it's still a, it's like 50 something percent blue, but it's definitely yeah. a lot different than Eugene where you, I say that you can't have activists. You have to have advocates in, in Springfield. I think you know? that that's a great way of phrasing it. And, you know, it, it's, it, it's trying to figure out how you, how you achieve a level of, 
of balance. And yeah. a lot of people don't like to hear that. But yeah, no, because people again, want results right away. And it's like, if we don't listen to these people, what we're going to do is we're going to get worse. And it's not right. about moderate. It's not, it's not about just like, I mean, we've, I've learned that from the 2016 election where, you know, people were like, I'm not going to vote for Hillary. Now that's a national thing. And that's a whole different thing that's been talked about too much. It makes me nauseated, but but, you know, I, I just it's a different animal. And I think that sometimes people forget that, that they're like, I want what I want instead of I want what the what's going to work the best for the most people. And we need to kind of make some compromises. And so someone like right. you, that that's what your whole you know ethos that's is what about. I'm about. Yeah, it's, that's, it, it, and, not, and not compromise for the sake of compromise, but trying to find where where is that balance point of reasonable action? And, you know, right now it, it's it's everything seems to come down to zero sum gain, you know, and I don't, I don't like it when we put it in terms of there's winners and losers. And it's like, well, what can we agree on? So oftentimes we start off with a polarized position of, and we start with discussing what we disagree on. And, you know, if we can start with what we agree on, and work through there, we'll find out we have a lot more in common than we have dissimilar. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I believe the average person cares about water quality, either air quality. Roads, um, like you were talking the about. Roads. They yeah. want they want fiscally responsible uh, decisions made. Yeah. Uh, you know, all, all these, these pieces. In fact, I, I would say I'd probably lean a little more towards the right on um, fiscal management. Sure. Socially, I, I lean a little more to the left. And it's, it's trying to, to find those points, uh, you know, going back to the, the unhoused situation. What are the strategies where we move the ball the furthest down the field uh, and it's, the cost is something we can afford? And, and, and ideas that are going to have solutions that are going to be quick, but also right. long-term are going to save us money or going to be the most cost-effective. We got a couple comments from uh, a good friend, Dave, actually one of my sponsors, uh, Pocket Zeus oh. Media. And okay. he's, he was talking about, uh, it's not really a question. He said, great questions, Patty. Great to hear the strategy around how our roads are well, will be maintained and repaired and where budget's being allocated. That's why I love doing what I do is because I get to come, come on and, and talk to people like you, Randy. And then he also said... Uh, you can't have activists. You have to have advocates. Very well said. Thank you, Dave. I want to mention, though, that this is just well that, it is it is a good point, And I think it paints a picture. But that being said, it's all semantics, because I think in certain areas, activists are necessary, because what activists are, in my mind, are people that are bringing awareness to something that people are unfamiliar with. Yes. So and so that is necessary in the beginning stages. Take civil rights activism is sometimes the only way that you can actually get produce, get results because without yes. standing for what you believe in, you know, and in the Thurston area where we saw the black lives matter protest, I was very uncomfortable with the idea of them being in a city in a home environment, but they did it peacefully. There was some language that was used, but, but mm -hmm. the, they still did it peacefully. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we saw the reaction from the police and then it showed exactly why they were there and, and you know, and why they were doing it because the reaction was completely imbalanced. And so as much as it may be uncomfortable, activism serves its purpose. Now that being yeah, said, I agree. Yeah. When it comes to, when it comes to actually getting results in a, in, I don't really know if I want activists on a city council. You know what I'm saying? I want advocates on a city council yeah. because I want people that know how to work with people they disagree with. And so yes. in a community, we need both. And I want that to be perfectly clear. But sometimes when it comes to the way that I'm going to support candidates, 
I look at it and I'm like, are you really going to look at someone in good faith? Are you really going to listen to someone that you disagree with? You know, yeah. and not you personally. I think you are one of an examples of, of, of somebody that can advocate across the board for people that even people you disagree with. Yeah, that's what we've been talking about today. You know, and so that's really I think right. we need a lot more of you in office. But I appreciate that. I try to practice hard on issues, soft on people. Yeah. I mean, you know, the more we can depersonalize things uh, and I, I think it's healthy, as I said early in this podcast. I think disagreement is healthy, right? Um, but it needs to be done respectfully. And the more we can depersonalize it, uh, I think the better we are going to be as as a society. And I, I want to see people come closer together. I mean, uh, the 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 winners and the loser mentality is is the wrong way to approach this, from my perspective. It's like can't we all win? Can't we find ways of, of, okay, well, maybe we don't agree on this approach, but how if we go to, you know, to the left or the right or wherever it is to find a point that, you know, what, what are the points we can all agree on? Yeah. And I think people need to understand too, that it's a lot harder or it's a lot easier in a local election to get votes from the opposition party than it is on a national election. I truly believe that talking to my dad, who's real conservative, he tells me, he's like, I tend to go with them with uh, mayors, even though it's supposed to be a nonpartisan seat. He's like, if people are a little bit more Democrat, I can deal with that. Cause they sent, they, t it's, it's really dealing with what's close. Now he also, as a Republican, he also thinks the federal government should cease to exist. And so, so it's kind of interesting to talk to him and I take a lot of what he says to heart. And now I don't think that he understands though, that his Republican party doesn't exist anymore. And so that's a whole yeah. different talk conversation, but Randy Groves, city councilor, Randy Groves, thank you so much for all the work in our community. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Uh, and, and it's just, it's a, it's a treat for me to be able to get to, to meet people like yourself and then become more acquainted and become friends truly. I mean, and so, yes. yeah. So well, you uh, used to cut my hair, buddy. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, the parking is still crappy on part on campus, but I'm, I'm down yeah. there. We'll, we'll talk off air about that. Uh, sounds good. And well, yeah. thank you so much for having me on. And you know, if, if you, I'm, I'm happy to come back to, I think this is important that we are able yeah. to discuss the very issues we discussed today. And, you know, I, I, I guarantee you in six months, there'll be a whole slate of new ones. Oh yeah. So, and you were uh, talking about the pool. That is something that I would love to have, uh, talk about more in depth as the time comes. So you've yeah, got, there'll be a whole public process around that, but yeah. you know, it, it, the main thing was securing the land and then yeah. the next step will be, uh, securing the funding for and pool and community center in yeah. Southwest Eugene. That's great. So, so, well, thank you so much, Randy Groves. We're going to get out of here. Thank you. And I'm going to end this with a song. And this is a song that I wrote back. It's called a hundred days, but I wrote this a uh, hundred days of Obama, but I was listening, trying to pick a song. And I decided that I was going to use this one because I feel like some of the stuff still just still rings true to today. So this is me, Patty Rose with the song a hundred days. Sacrificial worship, secondary accomplishments, not a step, chances at self-fulfillment. Problems with your mind, set the table for a profit on a ride. I can't get off it. I toss it to the side as my life felt like a chore. Decided it was time to live for something more. I toss it to the side as my life felt like a chore. Decided it was time to live for something more. Change. Are we actually ready? Strange. I am upsetting fear of a counterculture brewing here, and nothing is what they're doing. Change, are we actually ready? Strange, how it seems.
seems I am upsetting fear of a counterculture brewing here, and nothing is what they're doing. Always seen and never heard. You always hang on my every word. Always seen and never heard. You always hang on my every word. Always seen and never heard. You always hang on my every word. Always seen and never heard. You always hang on my every word. Our nation is at war against the far-reaching network of violence and hatred. Our economy is badly weakened, a consequence of greed and irresponsibility on the part of some, but also our collective failure to make hard choices and prepare the nation for a new age. Homes have been lost, jobs shed, businesses shuttered. Growing unemployment with slowing feats of fun. A bit of man forced in your plan is accepting or done. A system built for failure, hypocrisy at best. The treasury will nail a bill to your chest. With growing unemployment with slowing feats of fun. A bit of man forced in your plan is accepting or done.